0: This time that that God is sovereign God and He's keeping us safe as the body of Christ till this storm passes by. If you'll turn with me, please, to the twentieth chapter of that wonderful book of Genesis that we're studying on uh, tonight. I hope you're enjoying this study as as much as as I am. I was sharing with Tony, I think uh, today or or day before yesterday about how much I'm enjoying this because it's one thing to read a book, but when you're reading it to teach it and share it, you get to learn a a lot more. Of course, the book of Genesis is the book of the beginnings. Chapter 1, we have the creation of the heaven and earth and the creation of man, not over eons of time, and in in six solar days, evening, morning was the first day, evening, morning, second day, God created uh, this universe, God created the earth, and God created man. And then in chapters 12 through 50, we go into the second major section of the book of the beginnings, and that is the the lives of the four patriarchs in the history of of the Jews. And that's so important for us because our Savior came from the house of Judah, from the, the tribe of Judah, and from the house of uh, David, and uh, we praise God for how candid the Scripture is. You think about these great men of God; none any greater than Abraham, and we're studying Abraham tonight in chapter twenty. and We've been studying him since chapter uh, twelve, but the Scripture is so transparent about these people, and, and we think sometimes how how far or short we fall of the glory of God as the people of God today. They've always done that, folks. That's why. Calvary covers it all. That's why we need Jesus uh, every day in our life. And in chapter 20, we see Sarah and Abraham again repeating the same lie that they, uh, that technically a half-lie. She was his half-sister, but he was trying to cover the fact that she was his wife. Uh, and this time, not before the Pharaoh of Egypt, before uh, Abimelech, who was the king uh, of the Philistine nation, and uh, let's read uh, verse 1, uh, Genesis chapter 20, and Abraham sojourned uh, from uh, toward the south country and dwelled before Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in, in Gerar. Gerar would be the Philistine nation, the nation of the Philistines. And, and then in verse two, it says, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, uh, the Philistines, he uh, took Sarah. Same, same scenario that happened in chapter 12 with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And I was looking at some of my notes from Columbia Bible college on chapter 20. I just want to read just a few lines because It's profound. Again, you would think Abraham and Sarah would have learned, but no, and really he was afraid for his life and he probably had reason to be afraid for his life. So technically there was some uh, degree of justification in this decision, but my college professor in Old Testament survey, David Calhoun gave us these and I wrote them down in my notes. And I was just reading that uh, early this morning of what he had he had given us. He said the sin of uh, chapter twelve is identical with the sin of chapter twenty, only the location changes. Chapter twelve in Egypt. Chapter twenty in Gerar, uh, of the nation of the Philistines, who were uh, destined to become the arch enemies uh, of the Israelites. Uh, in Gerar, he meets Abimelech and. Gerar, Abraham does exactly the same thing he did in Egypt. The sins were exactly the same. But then the question is asked, which sin was worse, chapter 12 or or chapter 20? And the answer is chapter 20. You had hoped and would hope that Abraham had learned. But again, it's it's worse because uh, he didn't experience what he should have experienced in God delivering him from the Egyptians, and, and Abraham failed in his faith, and I want to tell you, that's a comfort to us in our weakness, that God doesn't expect anything of my flesh but failure. Anything within me is of the grace of God that glorifies God. If it glorifies God, that's not of me. That's of the Holy Spirit expressing the life of Jesus Christ uh, through me. And uh, the principle my Old Testament professor gave from chapter 20 is this. And this is profound. He says the principle of chapter 20 is don't expect past experiences to keep you from present sins. Now that's powerful, folks. We think we, we would get stronger from those, but sometimes we don't, and that was true with Abraham and Sarah. Now, in verses 3 through 7, God is actually talking with Abimelech, the king of the Philistians, in a dream, and Abimelech, the king of the Philistians, is talking back to the Lord in a dream, And you could ask the question, does God still speak to us in dreams today? Uh, Occasionally, I would say you wouldn't want to rule it out. Uh, Probably the one time I know God spoke to me in a dream was before Easter of 2019. He gave me a clear direction for my life that helped me to a great deal. But I can't ever remember any other time in my life God speaking to me in a dream I don't think you place a lot of validity on on dreams, although God can. God doesn't normally. Let me tell you why he did then. You see, the Bible had not been written, and and we have the complete word of God. And uh, can God still speak to us in a dream like I said he did? Uh, Six words to me. Let me tell you what it was. Uh, You know, I pastored Paul Church in Star Tech, South Carolina, twenty nine. Years and I kept going back for homecoming and, and and did invite back for homecoming. Invite me to preach uh, funerals and uh, do a wedding. And, and I didn't realize until the Lord spoke to me how that was interfering with their wonderful pastor they've got now. And I've never had a former pastor do that to me. And God wanted me to stop that. And He said six words: Do not go back to Tuckball. And, and I have been and will never go back because. Uh, I know now that was not of the Lord, and I know uh, I've never had a former pastor do that to me. My dad never did that. When he left the church, he left it, and the only exception, he was pastor of a church in Kershaw, South Carolina, for 14 years, 1955 to 69. My oldest sister married in 56, and she and her husband stayed in that church. She was the church organist there for 54 years of course, she's uh, with the Lord in heaven now. But he went back one time for a homecoming. One time he was visiting her and her husband and family. They had a death. They said, while you're here anyway, would you help? And that's the only time he did it. And that was only because my sister and her husband and family in that church. So God spoke to me in a dream to stop me from doing something I shouldn't have been doing to interfere with uh, uh, the church where I used to pastor, the pastor there. Because that's not, my love is that new hope. And I praise God. Again, I know I say that a lot, but I mean that from my heart. It's such a privilege and a joy to be part of the fellowship at at New Hope Baptist Church. But God spoke to Abimelech in a dream. Now, again, let me just remind you, uh, we have the complete word of God today. Uh, We don't need a new word from the Lord. We have the whole word from God. And when we need direction in the will of God, like we talked about last Sunday, you can go to the Word of God in prayer and depend on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you clear guidance from the Word of God. Now, in verses 3 through 7, though God is speaking to this king in a dream, and this king, Abimelech, uh, the Philistian, speaks back to the Lord in a dream. And let me, let me just read these verses and, and meditate about this. But God said, we're in verse three, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, thou art but a dead man. Think about this. For uh, the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech didn't know that. Abraham and Sarah both said we're brother and sister. Technically, they were half brother and sister, same father, different mother. So technically, they were not lying but they were using it to deny the fact they were husband and wife. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on. But uh, um, in, in those days, in Old Testament days, adultery became a capital offense that you'd be stoned to death. And, and that's why the Lord said, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. Uh, but Abimelech, the king begins to talk back. And, but Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, Will thou slay also a righteous nation? Well, uh, I was thinking about that this afternoon. The Philistines, by the way, were not a righteous nation. Uh, he was—he he wasn't fooling anybody. He was talking with the true and living God. But that was going to be his argument. But they were not a righteous nation. Uh, but he, his argument is true. In verse five, he says to the Lord. Said he, talking about Abraham, not unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the sea of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou uh, didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I have also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered. I permitted, I didn't permit you to touch her because you would have sinned against me, not just against her, uh, and not just against Abraham, but Abimelech, you would have sinned uh, against me, and uh, uh, then he begins to discuss with Abimelech who Abraham is, and notice the grace of God. Abraham has practiced this deception for the second time in a short period of time, and yet I praise God for the blood of Christ that washes away all of our sins. Mercy. If, if our Lord should mark our sins, who of us could stand? Nobody could. That's why we praise God for Calvary. That's why we glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom this world is crucified unto us. And we are crucified unto the world. And, and uh, the Lord says to Abimelech in verse 7, Now, therefore, restore this man his wife, for he is a prophet. And uh, we could talk a little bit about prophecy. Does the gift of prophecy still exist in our day? Uh, Well, it depends on how you define the gift of prophecy. I look at uh, the gift of prophecy no longer basically being needed. Uh, uh, We have, again, we go back, why God had to speak in dreams for a long time was because they didn't have the word of God. We've got the complete word of God. We don't need a new word from God. We've got the whole word of God. And does the gift of prophecy exist in our day? You know, I, it, it has to be proven to me why it was needed, because we have all the prophecies that we need. Uh, we think about how Christ fulfilled 300 Messianic prophecies in his first coming. And there are 2,400 Messianic prophecies in the word of God for his second coming. And folks, he is coming back. And I praise God for that. Ultimately, that's the solution, not only for America, but for the world. There will never be worldwide peace and righteousness until Jesus establishes his kingdom upon the earth. And all those 2,400 uh, Messianic prophecies concerning the return of Messiah, will be fulfilled in detail by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, look at, with me at verse 8. Now, Abimelech awakens from the dream that God has spoken to him in this dream, very powerfully. And, and verse 8 says, Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and they were sore afraid are very afraid. I think about two times we have fear in our life. They were so afraid and they had a right to be so afraid. Uh, The God of Abraham and Sarah was the true and living God. Uh, The pagan gods and the Philistines were nothing but idols. And they realized the God of Abraham could destroy them all. And they had Reason to be very afraid. The first time when we are afraid is when our security is threatened. Uh, You're in your home at night and someone tries to break in your house. You have reason for fear because your security is threatened. Now, I would suggest we do three things should that happen, and God forbid that it should ever happen. Uh, first of all, if that were to happen, I would immediately pray for angelic protection. Now, let me say this Psalm 91, 11, 12. I claim those two verses every day for my daughter and son in law, my grandchildren, and for their home where they live. I pray angelic protection over their home every day and over their cars. And I pray it over my home. And I pray angelic protection when I get in the car and drive. And I remember many years ago, one night I didn't pray angelic protection over my daughter and son in law grandchildren's home. And that night I didn't pray it. Someone tried to break into their house, and I haven't missed a night since. And I remember just some time ago when we were meeting at church, and I was leaving church, just got up the road a short distance from the church. And I just prayed for angelic protection over my car as I was driving from You Hope to my house. And I looked up, and I just prayed angelic protection. Lord, send angelic protection protect my car. And a car was coming across the road toward my car, and immediately it swerved back across the road. Do I believe angels protect me? Yes, I do. We don't worship angels. We don't talk to angels. We don't pray to angels. But we can pray for angelic protection. So uh, I'd recommend that. Pray that for your children. Pray that for you. Pray angelic protection. Uh, over your home. And then the second thing you would do, I'd call 911. Somebody's trying to break my house. I'd call 911. But the third thing you do is take your gun and defend yourself. Uh, now, there are four times that you can take the life of another human being, and it's not murder. Uh, one of the Ten Commandments, and Lord willing, uh, this year, I keep thinking about different things I want to do on Sunday mornings at New Hope, I want to do a series on the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not kill. But in, in the Hebrew, uh, that word kill literally means thou shalt not murder. Uh, there are four times you can take another person's life and it's not murder. One time, and these are uh, verified in the word of God very clearly. One time is accidental. Uh, I was talking with Fred and Madeline Sunday night, and she was talking about a pastor uh, he used to be pastor of Parkway Church in Chester, South Carolina. I don't know if he's still there, but she said he was in a bad wreck and it was his fault and his wife was killed and his brother in law was killed in this wreck. That was his pastor's fault in his driving. Well, did he commit murder? No, that was accidental. That was accidental. I, I, you know, the, that dear man, we need to pray for him, Brother Ashley. Pray for him that God would heal his broken heart. How do you recuperate from something like that? But accidental is one of those four times the Bible says you can take another human being's life and it's not murder. Um, the second time the Bible says is as an agent of human government. For example, police officers. Um, I come from a family of police officers. Uh, right now I just have three, two or city police officers in the city of Charlotte. One is part-time in the county where he lives, but it used to be full time in the city. Uh, but there was a time, I think, when there were seven in my family who were police officers, uh, when a police officer has to kill somebody in the line of duty. That's not, that's not murder. Uh, that's justifiable, by the word of God. Another time is in the military, when our soldiers on the field of battle have to kill somebody. That's not murder. So, When someone acts as an agent of the government and they take another human life, the Bible says that's not murder. Uh, A third time the Bible justifies the taking of another human life is capital punishment an eye for an eye, uh, and an ear for an ear, a tooth, and a life for a life. And you know what? That's biblical. That's biblical that capital punishment should be maintained by all the states. That's scriptural. But then the fourth time, we're talking about four times you can take a human life and it's not murder. Accidental as an agent of the government, capital punishment. And then we're talking about defending yourself, self-defense, self-defense. But there's a second time. There's a second time when we fear. And that is when we come into the presence of someone who is infinitely superior to us in every way. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. We're not afraid of the Lord because he threatens our security. Folks, he is our security. He is our refuge and our strength in a very present heaven a time of trouble. The ultimate security you and I have as God's children, no matter what we face. Nothing can separate you, precious child of God, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Abimelech's servants were afraid because they knew that the true and living God whom Abraham and Sarah served had the power to kill them all. And they were very afraid, and they should have been. Now, now look at verses 9 and 10. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, and I think it's interesting in verses 9 and 10. Here is a pagan king preaching to a prophet of God. Preaching to him. And Abraham needed the preaching too. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, verse 9, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom of great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that uh, thou hast uh, done this thing? And again, uh, Abraham was fearful for his life. He was fearful for his life and fearful for Sarah. And he had a right because the king could have done that. Uh, He could have killed Abraham and taken Sarah, his wife. Well, look at that in verse 11. Abraham explains why he did that. Did it justify? Boy, that's a hard question. You have to say in part, he was trying to save his own wife and save his wife's life. Uh, did it justify? And, and uh, verse 11, Abraham tells why. He said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and thou wilt slay me for my wife's sake. And he, Abraham was right on both points. God's fear was not in that place. And he would have slain him for Sarah. There's a real probability that would have taken place. And uh, verse 12, it says, And yet indeed, she is my sister. Abraham's talking to the king and the Philistians. Sarah is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Let me read for you, of course, you all know how I love the Henry Morris Study Bible, and let me read for you what Henry Morris says about verse 12, which was a common practice in the household of faith in those days. Uh, Morris says, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. In the early centuries after the dispersion, close marriages were often necessary with very small tribal populations. This may have been especially desirable in Gabi families in order to preserve faithfulness to God's revelation and his purposes, as noted before, the situation was not harmful genetically until many harmful mutations could have been accumulated in the nation 's genetic pool and by the time of Moses, this was forbidden uh, in, in every way. Now now look at uh, Verses 13 through 16. Let me just read those for you. uh, And let's move right along. But let me just read for you verses 13 and 16 through 16. And I want to read or at least make a comment on the last two phrases there, what uh, Abimelech said to Sarah. And uh, but reading verses 13 through 16. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said in her, this is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whether we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. And, and technically he was, at least his half-brother. Uh, he, he was her half-brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men's servants and women's servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him, Sarah's his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell, it pleaseth thee. How God protected his two servants in such a time as that. Again, we think about the protection and the provision of God for us every day of our life. But listen to what the king of the Philistines said unto Sarah, verse 16. He said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee. And I, and I begin to ponder today, well, what does that mean? And and I'm not sure what it means. I'll be quite honest. But, um, I think at least in part, it meant God's going to put such a veil over your eyes that you'll only look unto Abraham as your husband. And, And then he says, and with all others, uh, Thus, she was reproved. She was reproved. Now, that word reproved can also be uh, described as being justified. And technically, Sarah was justified in what she did because she was simply doing what her husband had asked her to do to protect their lives, especially to protect him from being killed so that She would become the wife of a pagan king. And folks, you can see how this protected the plan of God. I'm going to read something for you in just a moment, but that will clarify that. Let me just read the last two verses. So Abraham prayed unto God. Hear how God just protected Abraham and Sarah in the midst of this. And Abraham begins to pray unto God. Uh, to heal Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. I want to read for you. We'll close with this. Warren Wearsby, he's with the Lord now, has been with the Lord for a number of years, but a wonderful Baptist pastor wonderful uh, Bible teacher, wonderful Baptist pastor, as I said, wonderful expositor, the Word of God. And I have some of his notes, just brief notes on different chapters of the Bible. But I want to read to you in closing what Warren, Weir, let me say it right, Warren Wiersbe wrote about Abraham's visit in Gerard here in chapter 20. He says this, Unfortunately, this chapter records the reputation of an old sin. Abraham lies about his wife. Even the most dedicated saint must completely be on guard. lest us say, him up. Why was this sin repeated? Now, here's something I've never understood. I never, I don't think I've ever read this before. I believe in the daily confession of my sin like you do. I that's why I say 1 John 1, 79 are my spiritual campground. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sins. And if we confess our sins, God is faithful just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I live there every day in my prayer time because mercy, if you're a prayer warrior, uh, there's a reason why it's called being a prayer warrior. The enemy is going to attack you uh, in your fault life while you're praying. and That's why you covered with the blood of Christ, and I, sometimes I'll just, I use one of my dad's preaching Bibles that I treasure, and I'll just turn it to First John 1, 7 and 9, sometimes I'll just point to it and say, devil there, read it for yourself, but what we're, we're talking about here is the difference between confessing and judging our sins, and, and this is a new concept to me, and I to read it for you, and I hope it blesses you like it's beginning to bless me. Why was this sin repeated? Because Abraham had not judged it in his life. Certainly he had confessed it to the Lord and been forgiven. But confessing is not the same as judging sin. To judge our sins means to see them in their true light as God sees them. To hate them. To put them out of our lives. In verse 13, Abraham admits that this sin came with him out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of the old life in unbelief. There is a difference between the believer and the unbeliever. Even though the believer might fall into sin, God plagued the heathen court but protected Abraham. Even though Abraham and Sarah were deceiving to protect their lives, and some degree of justification there. God protected Abraham. God said to the ruler, thou art a dead man. But he called Abraham a prophet. This does not mean that believers have a license to sin. But it does show that God is faithful even though we might be unfaithful. Aren't you glad? The faithfulness of God does not depend on our faithfulness. God's faithfulness is unchanging. And it's a great motivation. For us just to want to be faithful daily in our walk with Him. Uh, certainly, Abraham suffered shame and reproach because of his sin, but God protects His own. Actually, had Abimelech taken Sarah, this is what I was saying a while ago. Actually, had Abimelech taken Sarah, it would have ruined God's plan for the birth of Isaac the very next year. Abraham's selfishness and unbelief almost wrecked his own life and the future of the jewish nation and then he goes on to say this and let me close with one his last sentence he says faith is living without scheming faith is living without scheming what a powerful word based on what abraham and sarah did twice in egypt and in the land of the philistians faith is living without skiing aren't you glad you don't have to ski aren't you glad you just come to jesus and jesus takes care of it and calvary covers it all what a mighty savior is jesus our jesus and you can Place no price on the peace of God in our hearts. It's beyond being measured in wealth. It is eternally priceless, eternally priceless. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you, Father, for how candid is your word. And that just reminds us, Father, just like you dealt with Abraham and Sarah with grace and all the Calvary, you knew that Jesus was going to pay for their sins. Prophetically to Calvary, we look historically to Calvary, but we thank you, Lord Jesus. Your blood has washed away all of our sins. with my brothers and sisters in Christ listening tonight, we come before you justified, just as if we've never sinned. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Jesus. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Father, for this time tonight.